At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we turn to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. As I came in this morning, I drove by a gas station, was reminded of gas prices and the economic moment that we're in. And it's not lost on me, the sacrifice that some make uh, just to be here this morning. We are super grateful for that. And I pray that God would richly encourage your heart uh, as we continue on in worship today. I also want to say thank you again for your generosity. You know, Pastor Joe said it. You know, it not only supports our Global 100 program, which, by the way, is our commitment to raising up over the next 10 years 100 young adults that will commit to the, commit their lives to serving the global church, serving the, the Lord beyond these borders in places that are needed around the world. And I'm glad that Sam is one of them. But it also, your generosity helps to support the spreading the gospel in 15 communities and around the world. And so uh, every week we pray that the Lord will speak to your heart and, and uh, there seems to be in every week someone that the Lord really encourages to do something special. And if that's you, uh, please know that this week it's an investment into our children and into the next generation. This morning we also get the opportunity to help our children understand why it's important to honor, to honor those who serve. It's Memorial Day weekend and we get a chance to express our appreciation for those who paid the highest price in service to our nation. You know, it's been said that freedom is not free. And that's a biblical principle as well. The book of Hebrews says, where there is no shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. In other words, where there is no sacrifice, there is no salvation. I praise God for those men and women who faithfully served our country and who laid down their lives so that you and I can gather together in freedom this morning. How many are grateful for that? Amen. I'm also grateful for the military heritage of my family, and I pray that my children will be as well, and I pray that your families will be as well. Some of you are not only military families, but you have uh, lost loved ones in service to our nation. Today, I want to invite up one of our very own to, uh, to pray with us and for us as we reflect on uh, the great sacrifice that many have made. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Lindell Holm is going to come at this time. Lindell served in the Marine Corps for 25 years. I mean, praise God for that. He is married to Miss Gina. And uh, together they have served our church family so faithfully. And we're tremendously grateful for you, brother. So thankful for you. I'm going to invite you to stand with us today as Lindell leads us in prayer. Thank you. Thank you for this uh, opportunity uh, to come. And uh, I'll just share a quick, uh, couple quick thoughts on Memorial Day uh, first. And, and uh, that is over 25 years being able to uh, serve my country in uniform. I lost a number of comrades uh, during that time. Um, I was in a uh, helicopter pilot, so aviation, uh, the military profession in general is, is uh, inherently dangerous. And um, so a lot of those were lost in training accidents and some in, in combat. So I just re- put that out there to re- remind us that they're, they're always out there. They're always serving. They're always preparing. 
at the, at the tip of the spear for us, for us. Also had the opportunity to uh, serve at the Wounded Warrior Regiment and meet those Marines that had come back from the war with battle scars, uh, some visible, some not visible, uh, and being able to uh, talk with the, those Marines and the families and, and just recognize, too, that, that the whole family pays a, pays a price uh, in, in both uh, wounded and, and in uh, those that are killed. And it's, uh, sometimes there are lingering effects. I just uh, found out that a friend who had been, uh, he, he died a few weeks ago, and part of the reason was his, the wounds that he received in Iraq several years before. And then lastly, the opportunity that I had as a commander to uh, be involved and present that last formal uh, symbol of respect to the families of fallen Marines as they they were buried and their their bodies had come back from the war and being able to present that flag to those family members, the uh, mothers and, and wives that were there. And that is uh, rem- remembering their look of sorrow um, on their face as you, as you hand that flag to them uh, on behalf of a grateful nation. It's, uh, it's something that stays with you. And um, it's just, it's very important and, and good for our nation's soul to take this time to remember them, remember their sacrifice, remember the families that are still, still suffering. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Dear good and, and gracious Father, um, we thank you for the blessings that we have through your son Jesus, the, the blessings of forgiveness and now now being able to call uh, ourselves sons and daughters of you, Father. We thank you for that. We also thank you for the blessings that we have uh, by the earthly blessings that we have by living in this country with the unique freedoms and opportunities that this country has for us and, and made possible through the sacrifices of those men and women who paid that ultimate sacrifice. And the families who still who still bear a burden that they struggle with as well. So we thank you for them, Lord. Thank you for uh, their memory and their sacrifice. And uh, Father, we do want to make sure that all glory goes to you and you alone and that no man, no nation uh, would get glory that is actually reserved for you, Father. And so we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, and uh, appreciate you, brother. God bless you. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. The last several weeks have served as a reminder to all of us that evil is real. Not that we have forgotten, but there are moments that are acute. There are moments that shock our souls and even shock and awaken our society to the reality of, of evil. And it begs a question, I think a very honest question, a question of why is the world so broken? And this is one of the moments where I get a chance to share with you why it is I believe in the Christian and biblical worldview. It's because there are certain questions that every worldview has to answer. And what I found is that the biblical worldview, the Christian worldview, seems to answer the big questions of life more comprehensively, more cohesively than any other worldview. For example, any worldview has to answer the question, how do we get here in the first place? 
You know, that's what makes, in my opinion, atheism, secular humanism, so bankrupt. You can't answer the foundational question. Secular biology doesn't do anything for explaining to us why, why we're here. But then there's a, a deeper question. How do we get into the predicament that we're in? And ultimately, what I think all of our souls are longing for is the remedy. How do we fix it? How do we get out of the predicament that we find ourselves in? All of those answers are given in Scripture. As a matter of fact, as you're explaining the biblical narrative to your children, to the next generation, even to your grandchildren, it's hard to be able to do that comprehensively. There is a longing in all of our hearts to be able to do that efficiently. And if you were to do it efficiently, there'll be certain chapters in the Bible that you, you have to mention. We're going to look at one of those chapters today, but certainly you would have to start with Genesis chapter 1. It's in Genesis chapter 1 where we're introduced to how we got here in the first place. According to Scripture, we were made by an all-loving, all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnibenevolent, all-loving God. That he made us providentially, he made us sovereignly, and he made us according to him perfectly. As you read about the days of creation, one of the refrains that you'll hear over and over again as God surveys his handiwork is, it was good. After day one, he creates, and it was good. After day two, and it was good. And that continues until ultimately we get to day six and he makes the apex of his creation. It's humanity, you and me. And when he steps back and he looks at all that he had done in making humanity and all of created order, he declares, and it was very good. Praise God that he made no mistakes in creation, that his handiwork is absolutely perfect. But again, that begs the question, how do we go from an it was very good to it is very broken? From what ought to be to what is? Well, the answer is given to us. The Bible never skirts the question of evil. It confronts it head on. And maybe this week you've been looking for an answer to the question, why is there so much evil and brokenness into, in the world that we live in? Well, into that vacuum steps Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we are introduced to the first family. But not just the first family, but the first family in conflict. As a matter of fact, for the boys and girls that are out there, you may want to write this in so you can get that, that prize at the end or maybe per persuade your mom and dad to take you out and get you something even better after we're done. But the title of my message today is The First Family Conflict. The First Family Conflict. That's what we're about to see today and why that has had a ripple effect on not only their lives, but our present culture. You know, whenever brokenness comes into our world, far too often the conversation typically immediately goes to public policy, as if God only created one institution. When we read scripture, what we discover is that God created three institutions, government, 
the church, and family. Never forget that. Government, the church, and family. As a matter of fact, the framers of our country were wise enough to acknowledge that and to codify this beautiful concept of limited government, to recognize that government does not have all of the solutions, nor does it carry with it all of the culpability. Now, that end lies the rub, because what we want to convince ourselves of is that somehow every evil is solved through public policy. And in the type of uh, democratic republic that we live in, there's certainly room for rigorous discussions around things like uh, mental health or even gun control. And all of those things will be hashed out and debated, rightfully so. But let us not forget that the origin of sin, according to Scripture, doesn't start in politics. It is actually pre-political. That the origin of sin, according to Scripture, starts with a family, Adam and Eve. And it's a reminder of something that is stark, something that we often try to avoid. And it is the reality that evil is not just something that is out there, something that is beyond us, something that is a problem to fix in broader society. No, evil starts in me. The evil starts in even our homes. And the narrative of Scripture, the saga of Scripture is this. So goes the family, so goes the culture. That if we win the home, we can win the nation. But if we lose our families, we will lose the culture. You know, recently my wife and I were talking about the Ten Commandments and we were reminded that every one of the Ten Commandments doesn't come naturally. That somehow they have to be taught. And they were meant to be taught in the home. This whole thought of not making idols, the first commandment, that we're not to make any other graven images or to worship any other God but, but, uh, but, but the Lord, that doesn't come naturally. One pastor said our hearts are idol factories. We have to be taught not to make idols. This whole thought of honoring the Sabbath. We don't typically honor one day as more special than the other unless we're taught to do so. And so it is with the fifth commandment. You remember the fifth commandment, don't you? Honor your mother and father. You know, we're a society that's totally forgotten the fifth commandment. It's not in vogue anymore. It sounds obsolete or outdated. But as I was reminded of recently, if you don't teach your children and grandchildren to honor you, no one else will. If we don't teach honor in the home for family, if we don't uh, change the way we understand the role and the importance of family in God's redemptive plan, then we will lose it. So goes the family, so goes the culture. If we lose the family, we lose the nation. With that, let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Because one of the things that we have to address here. And this is the big idea. Again, kids, you may want to write this down. Is that you and I were made for community. We were made for community, but sin separates us. We were made for community, but sin separates us. Why is that so important? Why in God's wisdom would he have us to look at Genesis chapter 3 today? It's because the temptation that arises in your heart and in my heart whenever we are shocked by evil and confronted by it is the temptation to withdraw. 
Maybe you've thought about this week. Maybe you've said, listen, we're safer and it's easier if we just withdraw, withdraw from culture or withdraw from relationships. And some have already begun to do it. It's to further isolate themselves, thinking in their mind, doing the calculus that somehow that relationships are more risky than they are rewarding. But the message of the Bible is the exact opposite. The Bible never says that relationships are not risky, but it certainly teaches us that the redemptive value of relationships, the reward of relationships outweighs the risk. You were made for community. You weren't made for isolation. But understand this, that when sin enters in, it causes a breakdown in our families and it causes a breakdown in our culture as well. As we look our eyes towards home, the question must be asked, how do we experience reconciliation in our broken relationships? Well, Genesis chapter 3 not only records the brokenness in relationships, but how we fix them. Look at verses 1 through 6 with me, if you will. And it tells this story. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. It's an interesting study here of what happens with this first family made perfectly by God, brought together and given a commandment, a simple commandment that the enemy ends up distorting. And here's his distortion. Don't miss the wordplay. In verse number one, he asks her a very important question. But notice how he forms the question. Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? God never said that. God never forbade them from eating from any tree in the garden. It was but one. But this is always the plan of Satan. The plan of Satan, and by extension, culture that separated from Christ, is to always make God's commandments seem far too restrictive, far too arduous. To make it seem like by putting your faith in God, your trust in him, that somehow that curbs your joy. That somehow that has come in to add restrictions on the love and the joy and the zeal for life. But let me remind you that God has not come to rain on your parade. No, he's come to give us life and that more abundantly. The psalmist says that in the presence of the Lord, there is a fullness of joy. It's the exact opposite. As a matter of fact, the simple restrictions that he does put in place are designed to protect us from the evil that is in our hearts. You see, when we begin to properly understand evil according to the Christian story, the Christian worldview, we recognize that it's not just something that happens in the hearts of those who commit heinous crimes or horrific acts, but it's something that is happening in my heart as well. 
And so God is wise and he is good and he wants to protect good and preserve us for joy. He wants us to experience that. And so he does put boundaries in place, but even his boundaries are for our protection. But the enemy comes to cause us to despise those things, to amplify those things. Instead of looking at all of the garden and all of the world and all of the blessing that he's given us to enjoy, he causes us rather to focus on the small limitations. Don't let the enemy do that to you. Rejoice in the Lord, friends. Rejoice in the gift of God's grace. Rejoice in the the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord is not hard or arduous. If we follow the way of the Lord, then our families will be restored. Our relationships will be restored. You know, I come to this moment not with a sense of judgmentalism because I recognize how difficult family is. My wife and I have been married for 25 years now almost, and we have been through many valleys and praise God, many mountaintops. And I think many ways that we've been able to survive because we recognize the grace that we see here in this uh, chapter about brokenness. It's amazing to me that God in the same chapter can remind us of how fragile and frail we are apart from him when our thinking about his ways are flawed, but how good and gracious he is when we recognize our need for him. Adam and Eve had gotten off course, and they got off course because they stopped listening to the truth of God's voice. Again, for the kids that are taking notes at home, that's point number one. Listen to the truth of God's voice. Listen to the truth of God's voice. You will never go wrong listening to Scripture. You will never go wrong listening to God's Word. And then she responds. In verse number two, the woman responds to the serpent. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now she makes two mistakes here. I don't have much time for the first, but she misquotes God too, because God never told them they couldn't touch it. They just, he just simply said, couldn't eat it. Don't add to God's commands what he does not uh, already place upon us. But the second mistake that she makes, the bigger one that I want to highlight is that she's negotiating with the devil. She's trying to persuade Satan of why she believes what she believes. Friends, let me relieve you of a pressure. You don't have to persuade anybody of why you believe what you believe. You need to know why you believe what you believe. Yes, we're called to commend it to others, but we don't have to negotiate why we believe what we believe. Stand firm in the truth of God's word. And wisdom always justifies her children. In the long run, the fruitfulness of a faithful life will be all the justification that the world will need to know that you were right and wise and faithful following the Lord. How many have seen over time that following God is always the right thing? Amen? Always the right thing. So don't spend all of your time in debate. There are times when God may call us to defend our faith, but ultimately what we are called to do is to bear witness, to bear witness to a life of faith and trust in him. That's all Eve had to do instead of negotiating with the devil The longer you talk to the devil, the longer you interact with 
uh, voices that are trying to persuade you to disobey God, the more opportunity those voices have to win out in your heart. And even now, there are brothers and sisters that are gathered with us today that maybe are in dialogue with somebody who's trying to convince you not to follow the Lord, that's trying to convince you that being faithful to God's commands concerning family or concerning how you should order your own life is somehow not beneficial, not fruitful. Be careful because verse number four, Satan reveals his true heart. He goes directly for what he's after. He says in verse number four, but the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. He sows seeds of contempt in the heart of Eve concerning God's motive and God's intentions. And this is exactly what the enemy knows. He knows that as soon as seeds of contempt are sown in our hearts concerning God's way, his will and his word, not only do we begin to have resentment towards God, but towards those who will remind us of his word. And maybe today you're sitting here and you're a young adult or you're a teenager, or you're younger and you're resentful to your mom and dad for reminding you of the word of God or daring to raise you differently. You know, so often my kids uh, will tell me, hey, my friends don't have those restrictions on their lives. Why do you place it? They get a chance to do other things. Why won't you let me? And it's my job to just simply explain to them this is the way of the Lord, and this is the way we're going to walk in it, even if it's not popular. But be careful when seeds of contempt are sown in your heart, because if you're not careful, you're one step away from rebellion. And when you rebel against God's way, brokenness comes. We were made for community. We were made for relationship, but sin separates us. You want to know the source of sin? It is, my friends, pre-political. And that's not to say that government doesn't matter. And it's not to say that public policy doesn't matter. It matters immensely because every public policy is expression of our morality. But it is to say that if we don't win the family, we can win all the debates we want in the public square and it still won't solve the issue of our brokenness. Lord, save our homes. Well, we see them ultimately taking a step from contempt to sin. Verse number seven tells us this. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord, Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See how far they've fallen. Verse number five, nine. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Verse number 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. It's hard to read that without laughing. <laughs> Verse number 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. If the first step to reconciling broken relationships is to listen to the truth of God's word, to get back on track by doing what God commands, then the second step 
is to set aside false ways of defending yourself. Write that in, in your notes there. Set aside false ways of defending yourself. You know, it's so interesting when we look at this story. You know, verse number seven tells us that they were ashamed of their nakedness. It wasn't the first time they were aware of it, though. Chapter two and verse number 25 says that Adam and his wife were naked before the Lord and unashamed. They were naked and unashamed. They could stand before God fully transparent, nothing hidden from God and not be ashamed. Can we do that? Can we stand before God fully transparent with what's going on in our heart and our lives and and not be ashamed? But not only that, they could stand before one another fully transparent about what's going on in their lives and not be ashamed. Isn't it interesting that when sin comes into our lives, that shame always follows it? The shame always seems to be on the other side of sin. And I know what it's like personally to be on the hamster wheel of shame and sin and shame and sin and shame and sin and the question of who can set me free from this? Only God can set Adam and Eve free from the situation they had gotten themselves in. And I think they knew it. I think that if there is something redemptive about the mistake that they find themselves in is they knew they had messed up big time and they knew they couldn't fix it. They tried to hide from it, but ultimately they recognize that we're in over our heads. Some of us, we're on a journey and my wife often calls it the slippery slope of sin. Maybe you haven't gotten as far as you're going to go, but you already see the trajectory. You've already stopped listening to God, listening to his word, listening to his servants. Brokenness has already begun to come into your heart. Contempt has already begun to rise for the ways and will of God. The next step is ultimately destruction and death. This is what God predicts for them, that from the day that you rebel against my command, you will surely die. Death will ultimately enter in. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. His MO is ultimately to destroy what God has blessed you with and to cause you to think your blessing is actually a curse. And this is what happens with Adam. Did you see what happened with Adam? Adam, when confronted by God, and men understand this, there's a responsibility that God has placed on us. You know, the beautiful thing about Genesis chapter one, and I won't re-preach last week because Pastor Steve did an excellent job, but let's just remember that some of our foundational and core social beliefs come directly from Scripture. The fact that all life is intrinsically valuable, that everyone has been made in the image of God, regardless of stage of life or social class, whether in the womb or out of the womb, no matter what background, you've been made in the image of God and worthy of dignity. That's not just some social belief. That comes from Genesis chapter 1, verse number 26. In the beginning, God created man in his image. The fact that God made men binary, men and women. The question in our society today is what, what is a woman? What does it mean to be female? And there's so much confusion around it, but in Genesis chapter one, it seemed to be pretty simple that the woman was the one with the womb. That there's something unique about womanhood that men will never know. The ability to carry and bear a child it's a gift. 
It's unique. It's something that men will never understand. But yet we all have gifts and we've been called to complement one another, made equal in value, but different by God's grand design, but working together, advancing the kingdom of God. That is what he's created. But by the time sin enters in, because they stop listening to the word and will of God, contempt entered into their heart. And so God confronts Adam because it was him that was originally given the responsibility to care for the garden. And then when the wife came in, they jointly were doing it. But the commandment started with him. And Adam's response was, it's the woman's fault. Man, if ever there was a verse that threw somebody under the bus, it's that verse. And many of us have men, we've done that. And men, I want to talk to you for a moment because the scripture talks to you, the text talks to you. So I don't think that I'm out of line by talking to you from the text. Be careful when you start blaming your status of life, your progress in life, your situation on life, on the wife that God has given you, on the children that you're blessed with. Far too many men say in their minds, if not out loud, I would be further ahead if it wasn't for If you're not careful, that thought will begin to creep into your mind that life would be easier. I would be further ahead. I could accomplish more. I could have more fun, more joy. Whatever the lie of the enemy is that's roaming around in your head, let me correct it. Children are a blessing from the Lord. The wife that God is giving you is a gift from God. Begin to celebrate that fact. And I believe that the, the, the moment of joy starts not when your situation changes, but it starts with gratitude. The moment where you can begin to say, thank you, God. And the real question that we have to answer as men is when was the last time we thanked God for the woman he gave us? When was the last time we thanked God for the children he gave us? When was the last time we thank God for our families as dysfunctional and imperfect as they may be thank God for the gift of family how many praise God for the gift of family And if I could be so bold as to say we are in a societal moment where we have confused the gifts of God. We're in a societal moment that is so turned upside down where we would dare celebrate and shout in celebration over an abortion while decrying the gift of family, marriage, and children. May God help us to be able to see the gift of life from God and to be able to see that family is a blessing from the Lord. Adam got it wrong, but I pray that you don't. I pray that we don't. And if you have gotten it wrong, turn to the Lord. Earlier today, I got a chance to meet with a couple who uh, had gone through a lot of difficulties in their past. But what was beautiful about the conversation that we had in my office there is the fact that you can always start afresh and anew. When will you turn to God? You can start afresh and anew. Well, I've talked to the man, ladies. I can't let you off the hook. Eve was a part of this moment. And Eve was given command by God as well through the voice of her husband as it pertains to this particular story. Eve knew what she did was, was wrong, was out of line with God's will. She had condemned her own self. She, by direct quote, had already told Satan that she knew what God had told her not to do, but yet she had done it anyway. Let me just challenge those 
women who are already on a road to doing something you know God has not called you to do. Some things you don't have to pray about where the word of God is clear. All we have to do is, is, is obey, to trust and obey. And it does take faith. And I know every situation is complicated and not easy. And again, I'm not here to be condemning or judgmental, but I am here to say that the way of the Lord is always right and wise. So here they are in a situation in which they're over their heads. And here we are in a societal moment in which people are scratching their heads, crying out, what do we do from here? How do we respond? Seems like we've lost a generation to violence and confusion. How do we fix it, God? Well, it starts with recognizing that it's too big for us to fix on our own. This is why I thank God for verse 21. And this is where I'll end. Verse 21 simply says this, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Those are merciful words. Those are gracious words. Adam and Eve had found themselves naked, ashamed, broken, separated from one another, in conflict with each other, distant from God. But God didn't come in to multiply the distance. He didn't come in to lecture them. He didn't come in to drive a deeper wedge in between them. He didn't come in vindictively or angry, but rather he came with mercy. And this is what he's doing for us today. You know, we live in a time now where prayer and turning to God is somehow belittled. It seems passive or inactive, but don't fall for that because that's not the truth of scripture. Prayer and turning to God has never been passive. I know you're hearing the voices saying, we don't need your prayers anymore. We don't need your prayers for this situation. That's somehow not enough. But the Bible is still true, friends, that the fervent, effectual prayers of the righteous still availeth much. That if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. There are certain times when situations are so much bigger than finite humanity that all we can do is pray. But we're not praying to the wind. No, we are praying to an infinite, almighty, and all-loving God who is able to fix what we have broken. And so God in an act of his grace, turns and makes a sacrifice. Understand, you don't get skins that cover you unless there is a sacrifice. There was an animal who was sacrificed for those skins that covered Adam and Eve. But that, my friends, points to a greater sacrifice that was to come. Theologians call this the proto-euangelion, which is the first preaching of the gospel. It is here in the deepest of their sins that God shows them that a sacrifice is coming. Greater than one that would just cover you externally, a sacrifice. The Lamb of God was going to come and through his blood, he would cover our sins and our souls. Praise God that grace has come. Praise God that mercy has come. Praise God that he stands there with open arms saying you don't have to live in confusion, but you can follow me because my way is right and wise. God wants to bless your families. 
And I want you to know today that if you turn to him, no matter how broken it is, there is no sin on earth that's greater than what he did on Calvary. How many praise God for that? Amen. I know that the hour is late, but I want our worship team to come out because they're going to sing a song of blessing over us today. But I want you to stand. And maybe today you're saying, Pastor, you don't know my Adam, how messed up he is. Or maybe you're saying, you don't know my Eve, how messed up she is. You don't know our family, how difficult it is. But I do know your God, how big he is. And if you put your trust in him, he can heal what's broken. Turn to him. How many want your family to be blessed? I invite you today, if you're in need of prayer, come to this altar as soon as we're done singing. If you're watching online, type connect, we'll follow up with you. May God bless you today as we turn to him. Because if we win the family, we'll win the culture. And if we win the family, we'll win the nation. If we turn to God, his blessings will cover us. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.